Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Agora podcast. If you've listened before, thanks for coming back. If it's your first time, what you need to know is that in each episode, we pick an issue that is relevant to Greece and try to take a deeper look with members of the Macropolis team of analysts, as well as invited experts. This time, we're looking at a particularly challenging issue, Greek-Turkish relations. Sitting here in Athens, it seems that Greece's relationship with Turkey is rarely not a pressing issue. But over the last few weeks, a series of events have fueled concern in Greece that things are going off the rails. In late February and early March, the Greek government decided to shut its land border with Turkey in the Evros region after Ankara gave free passage to migrants. This led to some ugly scenes, but the decision was backed by the majority of the Greek public. The feeling in Greece was that Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan was manipulating migrants, or weaponizing them, as some people put it, to strike at Greece and make a point to the European Union. Since then, Turkey has laid out plans for oil and gas exploration in the eastern Mediterranean including in spots that Greece considers to be part of its continental shelf, areas north of Rhodes or southeast of Crete, for example. This came after Turkey signed a maritime agreement with the Government of National Accord in Libya last year. Athens sees the deal as illegal and not valid, believing it infringes on the sovereign rights of Greece and its islands. Also, over the last few days, there is growing attention in Greece around the possibility of the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul becoming a mosque again, given it's been a museum since 1935, converting what was once the symbol of Orthodox Christianity into a Muslim place of worship is perceived as an insult by many in Greece. Of course, this political, diplomatic and military tension does not tell the whole story of Greek-Turkish relations. On an individual level, there is much that draws Greeks and Turks together. For example, aspects of culture, language, character, cuisine and music. A recent example of this was a video that circulated on social media at the height of the recent migrant crisis at the land border between the two countries. Our producer, Phoebe Fronista, is going to talk us through it. Hi, Nick. So, yeah, this this YouTube video, it's... It's very poignant if you watch it all the way through. It starts off like every other cell phone video you've seen. It's vertical, a little crooked, and it takes place in a restaurant. And there's a guy sitting at a table, and he's plucking away at an instrument that looks kind of like a banjo, but sounds like an oud. Everybody's smoking inside, a waiter passes by, they're not really paying attention to the musician, but the person filming is. It's like they're waiting for something to happen. And about 40 seconds in, it does. The camera turns away from the chumbush player, 
That's what this instrument is called, a chumbush. Um, it was invented in Turkey in the 1930s as a cheaper alternative to the oud. And so now we see a portly middle-aged man sitting across the table from the chumbush player. And this man begins to sing in Turkish a slow lamentation that is very familiar to Greek ears. And you can barely hear it, but the person holding the phone is kind of humming along, and the singer, his eyes half closed, acknowledges him. And then the video becomes shaky. The camera changes hands, the angle is different, and now, standing behind the musician, there's another portly man, younger, grinning from ear to ear, and gesturing, wordlessly asking permission to join in. We only see the hand of the singer, but he waves his assent. And now, the younger man begins to sing the same song, Aman Doktor, in exactly the same way, but this time in Greek. People in the restaurant start clapping. The original singer gives him a thumbs up and then a high five and he's clasping his hands. And then they begin to sing together, alternating verses, one in Turkish, one in Greek. Everybody in the restaurant is smiling and then the song ends. The singers embrace each other and kiss on both cheeks. It's, it's very heartwarming. And it turns out that both these men are rather famous folk singers in their separate countries. Kostas Mitsis from Preveza, Greece, who uploaded the video on his YouTube channel, and he wrote that it was a totally chance encounter one night in Istanbul. And the older man is Yaya Doray, an elder statesman who's still putting out music in Turkey. And these folk songs, they share similar scales, vocal techniques, and instruments. Aman Doktor, which was written in the 1920s, is just one of several songs from Asia Minor that are still sung in both countries, in both languages. And its theme is universal. It's about an unrequited love so painful that the narrator is forced to go to the doctor to see if he can give him something to soothe the ache in his heart. And this brief, poorly filmed footage, which went viral online, was a snapshot of what these two peoples share in common, even while broader developments means that the focus is more often on what divides us. That was the producer of the Agora podcast, Phoebe Fronista, giving us a bit of an insight into the complexity of relations between two countries that have been bitter enemies for so long, but which are also neighbours with intertwined histories. 
The song calls for a doctor to come and remedy emotional pain. I'm not sure that over the next hour we'll be able to solve all the ills in the Greek-Turkish relationship, but perhaps we'll be able to produce a diagnosis. Later in the show, I'll speak to Andres Murenza, a Spanish journalist who lives and works in Istanbul. Andres also spent a few years in Greece and knows the two countries so well he wrote a book about them. But now I'm going to have a discussion with Alexander Vodori, who is a foreign policy analyst for Macropolis and a journalist for Athens 984, the municipal radio station here in the Greek capital. We're also joined by Harry Zimidras, who is the director of the Cyprus Center of the Peace Research Institute Oslo, or PRIO, as it's also known. Harry is also a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and one of the foremost experts on international relations in the Eastern Mediterranean. I'd like to stress that Harry is expressing his own views and not necessarily those of the organizations he works with. We began by discussing the most recent development, which is the signing of a maritime agreement between Greece and Italy. It's a pact that many believe was signed with one eye on Greece's dealings with its eastern neighbor, Turkey. Harry, welcome to the Agora podcast. Thank you for joining us. Very nice being with you. And uh, Alexandra, thank you also for joining this discussion. Hello, Nick. Alexandra, if I can start with you, uh, a lot is being uh, said and written about the deal between Greece and Italy, the maritime agreement. Could you very briefly explain to us what it's about? Well, uh, first of all, uh, Nick, after several years of talks, Greece and Italy signed um, this last week a maritime borders agreement delimiting um, an exclusive economic zone uh, between the two countries. It should be noted that the two countries uh, signed an agreement delimiting their continental shelf in the Onion Sea in May 1977. Um, at that time, uh, the governments of uh, Konstantinos Karamanlis and Giulio Andreotti, uh, it was a milestone as it was the first and only until last week agreement on delimiting the continental shelf between Greece and one of its neighboring countries. So it seems that it took the two uh, neighboring countries and members of the European Union almost 43 years to extend that agreement, uh, which has now been updated to include new delimitations in regard to their exclusive economic zone. So um, the importance uh, of uh, this signing is that it, As you can imagine, it ties up a long-standing loose end for Greek foreign policy. Uh, even if the deal uh, itself is not seen as perfect, it could be regarded as a first step for Athens to be able to move forward in delimitating sea zones uh, with other neighboring countries. While the agreement could be used as a legal precedent, um, as it only uh, delimitates the continental shelf, but also the exclusive economic zone based on the so-called median line, even if in reality the two sides mutually agreed just minor adjustments to the 1977 agreement. One significant element, I could say, is that the, that the new gov uh, agreement recognizes that the Greek islands in the Onian Sea have a right to a continental shelf. This uh, runs counter to the Turkish claims that Greek islands have uh, limited delimitation which does not exceed the six nautical miles of the territorial waters surrounding them. 
On, on that, if I can just ask you, Alexander, is is there a sense that uh, in Athens that this agreement, apart from obviously being with Italy, as you mentioned, a, a fellow EU member, is in some way a message towards Turkey with regards to its uh, questioning of uh, Greece's uh, rights and uh, maritime rights and, and so on and so forth? That was the intention, uh, Nick, uh, of the Greek diplomacy, to send this message to Ankara. Uh, however, <laughs> um, vis-a-vis other agreements in the Aegean or with Egypt, things are more difficult and are more limited. And we could explain it further with the help of uh, Harry Dimitras as well. Okay, Harry, let me bring you in there. This agreement with Italy, there was much uh, fanfare over the the past few days. Firstly, uh, uh, I think Alexander gave us a good uh, description there that it's it's an updating of a previous uh, uh, agreement that there was a loose end for many decades for uh, Greece's uh, diplomats and that in some way it's sending a message to Turkey. How do you interpret, what, what kind of significance does this agreement have? Well, Nick, um, I think it's a very welcome development, um, and I'm really happy it happened. But um, but I think we should we should not read necessarily too much into it. Um, let me let me be clear. I think it's a very positive development as a matter of principle. What I mean to say is that again, as as a principle, um, this is an amicable settlement of international disputes in a peaceful way, which is at the cornerstone of international law and and obviously the the, the United Nations legal order. It is also a practical reaffirmation of such a commitment by by states. However, in essence, this is this is at the moment, at the stance, um, a statement of intent, a declaration of intent by the two countries, um, if and when they proceed um, to, to 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 proclaim an EZ, um, the, the the agreement is is to proceed in an agreed way. I remind you that that neither Greece nor Italy have proclaimed unilaterally exclusive economic zones, um, and obviously, then if 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 there is no, um, th- there's nothing to to delimit as such. Um, but it's it's a very very good declaration of intent. Proceed in a specific way if and when they will proclaim um, exclusive um, economic zones. Um, Alexander is very right. I think that it's it's important that um, this happened with. A 43-year delay, um, and, it, and it's interesting that, that that states that otherwise enjoy good relations um, wanted to take out a, a little thorn that might have been in place. But if you reverse the argument on its head, then then you find that that states that have very very good relations, that they've been friends for a very long time, that both EU member states, as Alexandra rightly points out, and it still took them 43 years um, to come to an agreement. That I think then important and welcome as it might be, um, should also be an indication as to the, the, the limitations of action when, when, it comes, um, when it comes to it. Um, then on a technical point of view, it's a multi-purpose zone that is declared. It's not an exclusive economic zone as such. And, and just to take a little tiny note on what Alex was saying about legal precedent, technically speaking, um, in international law, these cannot be um, legal precedents as such, because each case is different, um, even between the two, the two um, particular states. But I think it, it is very important that, as a matter of principle, the rights of violence are reaffirmed. But um, but on the other hand, what is also very important, this, to me, is a very pragmatic take. 
so in 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 accepting the rights of 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 islands in principle what has also been included in the deal is a limited effect um for some um, smaller islets of Greece and i think this is a very realistic take of the geography of the circumstances um pertaining in in the region and a final note in this respect is that um this is this is a further pragmatic take because if i understand correctly and the the agreement still is not seen um in public um there has been a respect on the part of greece of of established historic fishing rights of italy um which are now um, understood in the um, in the agreement as um, as extended um as rights to italian fishermen even within the um, the, the established Six nautical miles of territorial sea at the moment, and the potential extension to twelve nautical miles in the future, and that to me is a very realistic thing. Harry, in just a few minutes, there you explained to us that you know this is a multifaceted agreement and it has um, um, uh, many. Um, different aspects that are significant uh, to Greece yet if we look at the way it was covered at least domestically it was very much very much from the prism that we discussed earlier with Alexandra which is what does it mean for greek turkish uh, relations and one of the reasons that it's seen through that prism prism is that we're going through a very difficult time in the ties between the two countries would you say that we are at a recent low point you know one of the lowest we've been since the mid 90s when the two countries almost went to war over the emir islets well i think the the, the bilateral relations um, and relations within a, a broad regional framework have have ups and downs and that's and that's absolutely understandable in international relations but also bear in mind that 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 in international relations um, neither friends nor enemies are forever um it's it's interesting that yes of course we have a point of tension um but but so is relations between let's say turkey and and, and the european union or the united states um at a low on the other hand at the same time um relations with greece exist within a framework of an allied framework um of of let's say nato um and this is the case with other allies as well um so in a sense yes we have tensions rising and this is the outcome of a number of issues domestic and and international um but um but it should not i think deflect us from from tackling um issues that that have been long standing irrespective of where things stand at the moment um simply because they do change um all, all the time alexandra is you you follow what's going on at the foreign ministry uh and in terms of greek foreign policy is one of the problems that we have at the moment a difficulty to communicate and interact with the Turkish side? Yes, um, I would say that um, this is the, um, the main concern, that um, the leaders of the two countries do not have an open line, which has been the case for all previous governments. I mean, I, I totally agree with uh, Harry uh, that um, Greek-Turkish relations have always had ups and downs. Um, however, This time is different uh, since there is no open line between Prime Minister of Greece, Mr. Mitsotakis, with uh, Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan. Even for technical uh, issues, uh, there is also lack of communication uh, between um, 
technical committees and people who are involved uh, in these, uh, who are a part of these committees. Uh, there is a lack of communication, and this is the main concern vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, the Greek-Turkish relations and the current tensions, I could say. And in this environment where there is a lack of communication, there's the possibility of a lack of uh, understanding and misconceiving, mis you know, wrong perception of, of the actions. Now, there are a lot of things causing concerns on the Greek side. For instance, the discussion about the Hagia Sophia and turning it into a mosque in uh, Istanbul. Actions in the Aegean. Uh, the uh, uh, Turkish intent to search for hydrocarbons off Crete, the tension that we had at the Everest border in northeastern Greece with the migrant situation, and and many more. Uh, Alexander, are, are we uh, uh, reading those actions, those events correctly? Are we misinterpreting them? Uh, what's the intention, do you believe, from the Turkish side? Um I, be I believe that uh, we cannot really read um, Turkey. This is, um, we have, I mean, the academics, the majority of academics, the majority of the political elite in Greece cannot really read uh, what's going on in Turkey. And of course, uh, I'm not sure whether this misconception is honest um, in a sense that sometimes uh, this misconception may feed national narratives vis-à-vis uh, -vis Turkey and some issues like the Hagia Sophia uh, issue, which is not a bilateral of a bilateral nature, uh, and it should, shouldn't be of a bilateral nature, but you can understand my point. I mean, sometimes misconceptions yeah. in Greece feed nationalistic narratives. Um, on the other hand, if you ask me whether Greece and its sovereign rights are the main target of Turkey's strategy... Clearly not. Uh, I think that Erdogan's Turkey and uh, Harry could um, join us in this discussion. Erdogan's Turkey appears to think of itself as a regional power that has a certain impact in Syria, northern Iraq, in Qatar, in Libya, and even uh, in Somalia and Africa. In this transitional and rather unstable environment, regional powers like Turkey do have the flexibility and rather an instinct to act and seek hegemony roles in regions like Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, however, for this aim to be accomplished, Greece is in its way as uh, it's Turkey's neighboring country. Uh, however, I don't think that Turkey's message, messages in the East Med um, are, uh, are um, towards Greece. I think that... Mm -hmm. The main message of Turkey is that uh, any energy plan or any energy project uh, should include Turkey. And uh, as far as uh, what, what we have seen um, the last months, uh, I mean, in March in Evros uh, region, I don't think that Turkey was actually targeted Greece. It rather wanted to... Um, bring the European Union in the table of discussing perhaps um, a renewal of the EU-Turkey uh, deal. So um, Turkey's strategy is not targeting Greece itself. Uh, if this is what you asked me, uh, I think yeah. it's part of a wider strategy and Greece is just uh, um, 
on the other side as a neighboring country, but that's it. And I don't know if uh, Harry agrees with me on that. Yeah. Harry, where does Greece rank in terms of uh, Turkish foreign policy priorities and to what extent, you know, how, how should we interpret all these actions that we've discussed? Harry very much agrees with Alexandra. Um, so a, a couple of things from, 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 from what she was saying and extrapolating from that. Um, I absolutely agree that this, this is more about a power projection of Turkey in, in the whole region. Um, it's, it's a very clear message of, of Turkey to the, to the broader security west, if you wish, that you cannot simply plan in this region without us. Um, it's the, 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 the belief that, that, that Turkey is rising to become a very important regional middle power. Um, and so the message, I think, is to the, to the wider um, West um, using Greece or Cyprus, for that matter, um, or, um, or others in, in, in the region to, um, to give this message. And it does so in a very, in, 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 if you like, in, in exploiting um, vacuums existing. It, it's a very, quote, unquote, opportune moment. Um, for Turkey to do so, given the um, the problems in, in transatlanticism, um, the the leadership issues, the um, the crisis in the European Union, um, input and output wise, um, and so on and so forth. So, so I very much agree that this has to do with with um, a broader discussion and not um, and not um, um, necessarily one having to do. Um, with Greece as such. And it also has to do very, very little with energy, because this, I think, has been something that, that we've discussed for a very long time now, whether um, this, um, um, these actions of, of, of Turkey in the region have been prompted by energy. To me, energy has just been um, as um, a very good pretext to do so. It had very little, if anything, to do with it. But this, I think, is, 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 um, is further proven by the fact that um, Honestly, no one is drilling in the Eastern Mediterranean at the moment as an outcome of the of the Corona crisis, um, with unfortunately the exception of Turkey in in um, in in waters or the EZ of the of the Republic of Cyprus. So I think that's further affirmation that that, that it, it had to do with a with a power projection and that's to do with um, with um, with energy. Now, regarding the issue of um, of um, um, the reading, if you like, of Turkey, I think. I think it is yeah. safe to say that very much beyond Greece, this is not a Greek prerogative. Problematic as Turkey might might be at times, what is equally problematic is its reading um, in 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 the broader West. Um, I think it's 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 very often a time of, in the case of Greece, of parallel monologues, just to, um, to paraphrase Elitis, um, and and perhaps the the lack of a genuine will to listen and comprehend the other side, which I'm very very sure that that, that uh, Turkey is, is also plagued um, plagued from, but but it's it's really important to look into, so to speak, other people's truths, the frustrations of of, of others, um, and 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 it um, and it always seems that that um, that that what we do is 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 far from that um, more often um, than not. I think I think there are two problems one with this. One is that. It's extremely difficult for pragmatic governments even to go about a realistic take on things because the people have been molded to believe in a, in a certain way, both in the case of Turkey and certainly in the case of Greece. And Greece is of more interest to us because it's a more participant society, if you like, and, um, and public opinion matters in a very different way that it does in Turkey. Um, I also find that there is a very stereotypical repetition 
of, of, of certain precepts, um, certainly in the case of Greece, that really do not help. It makes it very difficult for governments to act, even if they want to do so. Um, it's very difficult to raise a voice that goes against the, the, the very fundamental belief that, that people have been, uh, as have, uh, that has been cultivated in, in, um, in uh, the public sphere. Um, it's a combination of, of denial, um, uh, issues of, of, of deep-rooted beliefs, if you like, and I really, really don't, don't think that, um, that this is helpful. Um, the, the daily reaffirmation of, or repetition of this um, provocative, if you like, arguments, this can, be, this can be seen exactly the same way from the other side. I'm not saying that there is no basis for claim that. Just on that issue of uh, public opinion, um, th- there was a poll published uh, a few days ago in Greece by an uh, interview polling company for Berina TV in northern Greece saying the question put to people in, in Greece was if Turkey uh, violates Greece's uh, sovereign rights, uh, how should Greeks, Greece respond? And the choice was between military or diplomatic means. And the majority here, 56% versus 40%, uh, uh, chose uh, military means. Is is that something you find uh, and concerning? Is that to be expected? What's your view? Look, my, my, my concern is it is exactly in line of what we were saying earlier on regarding um, a, a public belief on things. Honestly, if you ask the majority of people to define a continental shelf, I think there will be there will be an inability to do so. And yet, the very same people, the, the vast majority, fifty six percent in this specific case, are ready to go to war, so potentially die for it. Um, I don't blame the people for feeling this way, but um, but it's something that political elite should definitely um, go about um, educating people about, uh, not creating expectations, which I think lie at the very at the very um, heart of the problem, and um, and and inspiring a. a a spirit of cooperation uh, rather than, than a spirit of, 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 um, of enmity, although there might very well be reasons um, to do so. But I think it builds upon, upon decades and decades of a very singular understanding, a very singular narrative uh, on things that has to do sometimes directly with, with, with um, issues of Greek concern, sometimes just repeating um, um, broader, uh, broader regional and, um, and um, European narratives on the subject. But at the end of the day, it's really um, people like the Greeks who would have to, to, to live with the consequences of these actions. It's a very different narrative when you, you say the very same things in, in other places and in places where they would feel the actions on the ground. Um, it, it's, it's of concern that the narrative might be the same, let's say, regarding immigration migration in, in, in the European Union, but it is Greece that, that, that lives the consequences of that on the ground. So a very realistic take to me would be that those actors that have to live with the situation on the ground should be um, should be the more pragmatic ones uh, pushing for engagement rather than enmity. At the same time, Harry, as you, you mentioned, there are some practical events happening, some real events happening that obviously do stoke fears, uh, cause concern. One of those was the, the the situation we had on the in the Evros border region uh, when Turkey waved through migrants in late uh, February, early March, and we had uh, clashes there. We're seeing a, a militarization, a further militarization, if you like, of that re- re- region. 
the rhetoric on the two sides seems to be being ramped up. We recently had the defence minister, the Greek defence minister, suggesting Greece is ready to do anything to respond to any uh, Turkish threats. There's activity in the Eastern Mediterranean and the Aegean. Um, I would like to get your views, uh, firstly going to Alexander on this. How, how do we dial down from it? How do we diffuse the tension? I think one of the difficulties, Alexander, and correct me if I'm wrong, on the Greek side is that the Greek government has tried being tough uh, in its um, response to Turkey. It's also been trying to be more pragmatic, more flexible, and none of these approaches seem to be working. So so how can we uh, get out of this tense uh, moment we're in? Well, good question. <laughs> um, difficult to reply as, as I'm not part of the government and uh, I, I do not want to um, advise anyone. But I think that, first of all, um, the fact that, that the rhetoric um, is being... Um, uh, wrapped up, as you correctly said, I think it is because partly um, the government uh, has seen um, um, an increase uh, of percentage in in its popularity, and this is very concerning. And this is not um, the right way to deal with um, uh, bilateral relations, and especially with uh, your neighbor. Uh, Turkey. Uh, what I would like to say is that, okay, it's um, rather um, understandable if you use um, this kind of rhetoric to uh, keep your um, very good scores in popularity uh, for your domestic audience. But when uh, you have to deal with um, issues uh, with your neighbor um, in terms of uh, I mean, differences and etc. you need to find channels and you need to find a way to restore uh, this communication. I, I think that um, uh, politicians and um, governments need to uh, uh, not to be influenced by uh, how the people think or how the people feel and they need to take more pra pragmatic decisions. I think it's urgent for Athens to restore these communication channels with Ankara. And I think Athens needs to be able to send uh, the message, especially to Turkey's elite, political elite, that it considers Turkey presence and cooperation with Ankara in regional projects, for instance, mutually beneficial um, it needs to send a message to Turkish political elite that uh, bilateral cooperation is uh, um, needed more than ever, especially in this unstable environment that we live in. Um, this is a matter of urgency, uh, from, as, as I think and as I believe. I don't know uh, whether Harry agrees with me. Uh, Harry, okay. is, is, yeah. is there a way from for Athens to sort of uh, reach across the Aegean and try and convince Turkey that uh, we can get along? Well, I, I certainly hope they will. Um, look, there, there are a couple of things. One has to do with, with uh, direct actions, if you like, vis-a-vis um, -vis Turkey, and, and, and the other has to do with a more international or regional take on this. From a very realistic point of view, Every time there's a tripartite, quadripartite agreement, every time where there is a, a five-party MOU on a subject, every time 
that, that certain countries like Greece, Cyprus, Armenia um, tried to block the the um the 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 election of of um of a of a Turkish president of the General Assembly in the United Nations that will happen anyway. This is understood as an escalation on the other side. I'm not saying that there is no basis for doing so. I'm not saying that the countries don't have a right legally to do so. But I'm saying that this is understood as an escalation, and unfortunately, Turkey has um, has used us to, um, to to reacting to this escalation. In, in ways that, that, that make the situation on the ground uh, very, very uh, difficult. The second thing is to have a very realistic reading of where things stand. It's unfortunate, but, but, but the reality is that the, the geopolitical balance between the EU and Turkey will be tilting on, uh, on the side of Turkey. Turkey is, a, is an important regional power at the moment in, in an area that presents us with multiple difficulties from Syria to Libya uh, to rifts otherwise. So the, the, the European Union, I think, is looking for further engagement. This commission is very different from previous commissions. I think it is very clear that they, they, they're, they're going in the direction of further engagement with, with Turkey. And I would very much suggest that Greece, for its own sake and for regional security and, and, and peace purposes, would, would not only support this initiative, but, but actually be at the forefront of it. Um, the, the, the other thing is that obviously at the moment, and this is also very unfortunate, is that in very pragmatic terms, there is a very, very low leverage at the moment um, of um, both the, the US and the EU in Turkey. And Turkey is obviously taking, taking advantage of this. Um, I think it's, 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 it's a matter of of um, um, not having any illusions regarding either the, 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 the potential um, continued interest and willingness of the international community to engage in this or the, um, the um, willingness and, and, and ability of, of Turkey to act um, in a different way as it does. Um, I think it was, um, it was Admiral Apostolakis who said it first, and, and this is, I think, a very, very pragmatic take. Nobody's going to go to war with Turkey over Greece or Cyprus. No one. Um, also, the, the stereotypical repetition that Turkey is going to collapse. This is something that in, in regular intervals of, of, of 10 years um, we have in Greece. Um, it's simply not the case. Um, uh, Turkey is there. And Turkey, I think, will be there uh, continued, um, uh, fortunate as unfortunate as this might be. Um, Turkey is simply too important, too many important players to be allowed to collapse. So if we bank on the collapse of Turkey, it's not going to happen. And, and what also is important is that time does not always work for us in Greece or others. Um, the, the very realistic take at the moment is to try for more inclusion rather than, than exclusion. Look, I mean, the, the cooperation in, in the region is very important, but cooperation is a little bit like cholesterol. There is good cooperation, there's bad cooperation. So if cooperative schemes are designed to be exclusive, then I think they're going to be challenged in the future. If they're designed to be inclusive, if and when there's ability and willingness from other parties to join in this, then I think this is a very important take and it promotes um, the uh, uh, peaceful relations in the region. Harry, I think that's a great point to uh, conclude this discussion on. I think we can all hope we can only hope for better cooperation and better cholesterol as well, I guess. Um, Harry, Alexander, thank you both for uh, joining us on the Agora podcast. Many thanks. Thank you. Thank you.
You're listening to the Agora Podcast by Macropolis. You can find us on Acast, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for the time being. We'll soon be available in more places. In the meantime, please do subscribe, rate us, and send us your comments. You can also visit our website, www.macropolis.gr, for more information about our work. That's Macropolis with a C. Now, back to the show. Welcome back for the second half of the Agora podcast. We've discussed the geopolitical and diplomatic aspect of Greece's relationship with Turkey. Now, let's make it a little more personal. We're going to speak to Spanish journalist Andres Morenta, who recently published a book called Sinora, which is the Greek word for border or borders. The book examines life in the border area between Greece and Turkey, including the Aegean Islands. It doesn't just look at the political developments or historic events, but also delves into the personal experiences of the people that live in places at the outer edges of the European Union. Andres joins us from Istanbul. Uh, Andres, I want to begin by discussing a little bit your book, uh, Sinora. Tell us what uh, it's about, first of all. Well, my intention was to explain the history of the border, uh, which we, especially in Western Europe, tend to, to think that borders are, are fixed and, and eternal. Uh, and, I mean, that's also in the nationalistic propaganda, the sacredness of, of borders is always underlined. Uh, but, but the borders are not, not so old. I mean, uh, I was checking most, most borders on Earth are, uh, are drawn in the last... Uh, 150 years, so they are quite new. Um, and the, the one between Turkey and Greece is, is one of that examples. Uh, but this is not a history book. It's, uh, it's a mix of history and journalism. It's a blend that I quite like it. Uh, and, and of course, in the newspaper, you don't have many possibilities on doing that. But uh, in other media that I work for, like 5W, I have, I have tried to, to do these this blends of history and and, and, and the present, and uh, I think it's the, the, the bigger picture. Yeah, I, I think it's quite, quite. Um, you know, the, the, the readers like it. The readers with time to read long, long stories, they they, they appreciate that. Uh, and but also, it's it's a book about the the, the people that inhabit the, the border regions and the people that flew through that regions. I mean, but it's not also it's not uh, only about the refugee crisis of 2015 that has been. You know, quietly uh, discussed uh, uh, in media and books, but uh, I wanted also to to, to talk about the, the, the refugee crisis in, in uh, you know in context in the context of other refugee crises, the the, the migrant uh, you know the migrant routes that were conformed right. in the last twenty years, but also the migrant the, the refugee crisis of nineteen twenty two twenty three during the Greco Turkish War. Um, so to not to to equate them, but uh, but to 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 show that, that there are parallel mechanisms in, in the reaction of the people, uh, both the people flying and the people receiving them. Uh, I mean, there is the solidarity, there is the fear, there is the hate, the hatred. So uh, uh, this can help us understand why these things occur now that are not very new, in fact. So Anders, tell us some of the things that you discovered while writing this book about p- 
people and events that surprise you that perhaps helped you form a better understanding of what is going on in this uh, what's quite sort of fractious part of Europe, you know, the border between Greece and Turkey, two countries that have been uh, <laughs> having a very difficult relationship for many, many decades. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, this is the result of, of working in the area for, for a lot of years uh, in both sides of the border. So, uh, I mean, I wanted to portray very different uh, types of peoples and situations. I mean, I, I, I uh, write uh, about, you know, even architecture, of the architecture of, of, of uh, Thessaloniki and, and, and Smyrna, for example, how they were remade, uh, you know, in the, in the 30s. Uh, yeah. to, to, to change the, the ideology of, of the new states. Um, but I, I do a lot of, I mean, I portray especially people, people like, uh, you know, the, the traffickers in, in Edirne that are not always criminals or petty criminals, but people that, you know, they just to, to get some more money because the situation is not, the financial situation is not very good, they help people to go, get to the border, or people that, you know, uh, I mean, are in the streets trying to locate who, who are, um, you know, the possible refugees. I myself was offered to be crossed to, to Greece. Uh, okay. Until they, they understood that I was a Spaniard and have the passport to cross. Um, you, you have an easier way of crossing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, there are stories like, like the one of, of the grandfather of my colleague, Janis Grisobergis, uh, my colleague in, in the FA News Agency in Athens, um, that, that he, he, uh, he was a Greek from Istanbul and, and he faked his ID to skip the, you know, being, being enrolled in the labor battalions of the Ottoman army. Uh, and let, later he faked the ID again uh, to be deported to Greece, uh, not to be safe, you know, from the deportation, right, but right. to be deported because his fiance was also being deported. So it's, you know, renouncing your uh, country of origin because of love. That that was a, a very nice history. Well, it's a very um, short history, but uh, story. But but uh, it's also a, a love story, a, a beautiful story that helped me to explain, like the you know, the pain of. Of the change of population, uh, well, there are very much different stories. The stories of, of the, for example, the father of Alan Kurdi, and, and, and especially focused on, on you know, the, the pain that yeah. he's carving after what happened in the Balkan mm-hmm. Shores, uh, and, and 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 the story of of, uh, of uh, the priest uh, Stratos Dimon Papa Stratos, Papa Stratis from Lesbos that that died. In, Few, but yeah, I interviewed him yeah, uh, in 2013, and he was helping the other migrants. And, I mean, so there are different sets of, of people and, and you know characters that help us understand the, the, the different nuance of of the of the border. I, I, and there's, on that point, uh, you know, it, it's very much about people. And one of the things I'd like to ask you, you know, as an outside observer, essentially, yet you and you, one who has lived in in both countries, when you you took this time to to speak to people, both for the book and obviously for your uh, yeah. newspaper reporting, um, it, what were some of the similarities or some of the differences that you found uh, striking? Because, you know, these are two people, the, the, the Greeks, the, the Turks, for historical reasons, have been 
at each other's throats a, a lot of times. But then often, you know, it strikes me that uh, when you see Greeks and Turks together in a, in a normal setting, uh, sometimes it's very hard to, to tell the difference, the mannerisms, the, the, the food, the language, the, the way people are, their characters seem very similar. So what did you find? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you don't discuss who invented yogurt with Spaniards. You discuss it with, with Turks or, or Bulgarians. <laughs> so that means that, that the, you have a common history and a common culture. I mean, uh, food is, is a very important part of the culture for, for us uh, Mediterranean people. So, uh, yeah, um, I mean, there is one thing also. Uh, I, I found that in, in my reporting in the in the you know, last 15 years, a lot of people uh, that were descendants of the people that were exchanged in, in the 1920s, uh, and, and all of them, they, they, they tell the same thing, that, I mean, when they arrive to their new countries, they, they feel uh, foreigners, I mean, they, they feel close to the yeah. places they were, mm-hmm. they were coming from. And, and this, this didn't have to, to, to be with being like uh, from the kingdom of, of Greece or the Ottoman Empire, it was more related to, to the place, I mean, in the mountains of, of drama or, right. or, you know, shores of, of the Aegean in Smyrna. Uh, I mean, they, they were, they were uh, connected to, to that places. Uh, but for sure, I mean, the, the borders, you know, arbitrary as they are and, and, and sometimes cutting, you know, uh, cultural uh, nodes and, 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 you know, social units, cutting them uh, to half... Uh, and uh, arbitrary as they are, they, they are they, they have a performative effect. I mean, the uh, decades uh, decades pass, and, and they are not only a container, but they also you know change the content itself. So there are differences for sure. I mean, uh, the way the people talk, I mean, the language is different, the official language is different. Um, even the, the, the Muslim Turks of, of the northern Greece, the minority is different from the Turks, from Turkey, because they have lived the religion in a different way than the, it was, uh, you know, lived in, in, in Turkey. Uh, especially, I mean, starting from the 30s and this Jacobin, uh, you know, state that uh, changed a lot of things, especially in, in the western part uh, of, of Turkey. So, yeah, there are differences for sure. But... Uh, you know, as you said, uh, the character, uh, the character, especially, I mean, I found striking similarities in, in, in the Aegean border, uh, in the islands and the, and the Turkish Aegean shore. Uh, the, the way people live there, um, the, the, you know, the, the, the kind of sleaziness or, or, you know, the savoring of life, uh, it's very similar. In right. both sides. I mean, we 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 should not uh, um, forget that even if, if the Turks took, uh, you know, uh, or retook uh, uh, Smyrna like hundred years ago and, and converted in a mainly Turkish city, it is still called like infidel Smyrna uh, by by <laughs> Islamist nationalists. So mm-hmm. I mean, they and, and the people in Smyrna they are highly. Uh, Turkish nationalists, they are not, you know, yeah. very leftist. Now they vote for left because of different set of reasons, but they are, you know, they are very Turkish nationalists and proud Turks, but they are still called infidels because, I mean, they still saw them. The as historical legacy. About, you know, the, yeah. the Greek legacy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and there's to to bring it to more recent events. And you know, speaking of the border, you were uh, in uh, late February, early March in the uh, border, the land border between Greece and Turkey, Evros uh, border region area. Um, the Turkish government, the Turkish authorities at that time decided to wave through migrants towards the Greek border, the border with Europe. And we had a very tense uh, situation as the Greek government uh, decided to shut shut down the border, which it felt obliged to do to avoid being seen to be blackmailed uh, by the Turkish side. You were there reporting... Um, Describe to us some of the things you saw and some of the things that stayed with you about this incident. Well, I mean, I think it was same for 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 you know on both sides because there were two states playing uh, geopolitical chess with with each other. I mean, but with the dreams and, and hopes of, of humble, very 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 humble people. I mean, uh, when I arrived there, it was like the the. On, on a Thursday night, while there was this attack to, to uh, the, Syri- the Turkish troops in Syria, uh, right. uh, they announced this, and from the, 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 the next morning they started to, to, to flee, to I mean to go to the to the border in buses, you know, financed by, by the authorities. That was I mean, I went here close to to my house. There was a, a place where they were, you know, they were taking uh, off to to Edirne. And I mean, this was tourism companies uh, that were being paid. I, mean, I, I was asking them, "Who is paying you?" And saying, "Yo, a guy, a guy." And this old guy had, uh, you know, some connections. But yeah. I mean, it, 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 I, 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 I arrived there at the evening of, of Friday. So I mean, the, the, the camp, the border of Pasarpol was starting. I mean, first outside the border. Uh, you know the the border center, the border um, how you call the police headquarters that that make you cross you know, the crossing point. Yeah. But yeah, then the after, the, post, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, the, uh, after the next morning they enter in the border post. They, they enter also the line. So uh, yeah, I mean the situation was was really bad. Uh, the, the hygienic situation. Uh, the, the I mean the people they didn't have food or. Or water or anything uh, except for I mean the third day or the fourth day they, they put some toilets they give some food and, and water uh, and on the other side I mean uh, you know the the, the Greek uh, police force was was firing tear gas uh, I saw it I mean then the, the the Turks were were answering also with some you know some rounds of, of fuel fire to the air. Uh, but the, the Greek were, were doing that. I mean, you could hear the the, 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 the fire of, of, of the, the firearms there, and 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 I was me and other other colleagues, journalistic colleagues, were in contact with migrants because at some point you get expelled from this border post and by the Turkish authorities. They, they moved. They moved all the journalists out. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they, yeah, they didn't. I mean, you could through Karach, uh That this this part of the, the the border is is proper proper land, not not the river. Um, you get get close to the fence and and see them, but but mainly they were in the Pasarpule Castanis border post. So uh, yeah, they after Saturday, I think, 
or on Sunday we were expelled from there, so we couldn't report in there. But we could, you know, travel along the river, and I mean, uh, the, there you saw that people were being, you know, moved from one side to the other to try to cross. But also, you you were seeing people that had crossed to the other side, because I mean, um, the Greek authorities were saying every day we have repelled so many people trying to right, yeah, yeah, they were not really repelled. I mean, they were deported or pushed back. I mean, they had already entered Greek soil, and and they were uh, they were expelled from there. Um, you know, being beaten, robbed. I mean, they, they were even robbed the belts and the soul laces. I mean, this this is this has not meaning. I mean, you can rob the mobile phone, you can rob the you know the money even, but you, will you use the belts of, of these very poor people? Uh, or the soulless, I mean, this was like, uh, I think, a, a way to humiliate them. And, and of course, I mean, still fear on, on them. And, a lot and, and obviously to deter people from, yeah, yeah, from yeah. doing this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, because, I mean, people were so scared. I mean, they, they, they have this idea, this idea that is overly positive and optimistic about what the European Union is. Like, I mean, the cradle of civilization and human rights and... Blah 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 blah. I mean, it's it's uh, oversimplified and over optimistic view, but you know, uh, I mean, there, there is there is at least uh, a part of truth in that. Um, but but when when they you know crossed the river and found this thing, and, and you know that is not different on on the things they have left behind them. Uh, that, 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 that was, you know... They, a completely they were different completely, picture from yeah, what they expected. And, and these people, I have to say, I want to add one thing, and these people are mostly like the most humble and poor of the refugees because they, these are not the people in 2015 that were crossing uh, by, you know, paying 2,000 euros or 3,000 euros to cross to the islands of gold. Uh, these are people that they have no money, I mean, and they, they quit jobs... Uh, in Turkey, in different parts of Turkey, just to go to the border, because they yeah. thought, I mean, they thought, they believed, uh, naively believed on, on what Erdogan was saying. Well, not Erdogan, but the authorities, that, that the border was closed. Was okay. On, on that, Andres, yeah. Yeah, explain to me your understanding of what this was all about, because the, the perception in Greece was that uh, because uh, Erdogan was having uh, difficulties in Syria, he decided to um, use this as uh, a way of uh, distracting public attention and also stoking antagonism with Greece. That in, in Greece, this is perceived very much as a hit at Greece to uh, distract the uh, domestic audience uh, because obviously Greece is the traditional enemy. Um, I, I wouldn't say distract. I wouldn't say distract from, because in Syria, after that, I mean, the, the, they, they got the upper hand. And, and I mean, Turkey militarily has developed a lot in, in the last year, so, so they had the means to, to you know, overcome that, that thing. So I wouldn't say, you know, change the attention to one side to the other. But, uh, but there is, there was one, uh, one thing. It was I mean, it's a thing that Erdogan has always used to to try to to press the European Union to get more concessions or to to get uh, you know you know that um, the agreement the, the financial agreement uh, that was um, decided in 2016. Uh, what the EU Turkey deal? Yeah, the EU yeah. Turkey deal. The, the financial yeah. part is is 
I mean, it's finishing this, this and yeah, the following. Expiring, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, I mean, they, they, they want to, to, I mean, they have some right on that, uh, because it has really worked well. I mean, the, the financial support line, uh, it goes to projects and it has worked quite well for, for the integration of, of Syrian refugees and Iraqi refugees in Turkey. Um, but this is finishing. I mean, the new, the new European Union budget, there is no, I mean, at least for now, there is not many, Part devoted to to, the, to this agreement, but uh, also, I mean, it was for for political purpose in the sense that okay, European Union, you you have to get involved, in it. and also, of course, it was against Greece because I mean, you didn't see anybody, uh, you know, massing on the Bulgarian border that is at the same distance from Edirne that the Greek border, um, because I mean, uh, Borisov spoke with Erdogan and. Reach some kind of agreement. So, yeah, it was directly. Yes, that, 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 that was no, sorry to interrupt. That was noted in Greece that look, they're all coming here. No one's going towards uh, yeah, Bulgaria. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that has to do with the geopolitical um, fight that Turkey and Greece are having in the Eastern Mediterranean. So, tensions between the both countries are are uh, you know increasing in the Eastern Mediterranean. So, Turkey found a way to press Greece also, but but uh, finally it resulted in you know in a fiasco. I mean, even if Turkey was announcing that there were 100,000 people crossed today, uh, until today, and so on, I mean, it was completely, it was completely a lie. Uh, and Andres, so, uh, and, and to sort of conclude our discussion, given what happened in February and March, and given that we were seeing an increasing tension between Greece and Turkey, and an increasing in a sense, militarization of the the border. And we've seen this, as it was termed then, you know, weaponizing of migrants uh, as well, the use of migrants as a sort of a political or diplomatic uh, weapon. Um, and, and given your understanding of the situation in Turkey, uh, how do you expect things to develop between Greece and Turkey and, and the border area, the Sinora, that you have uh, been studying so closely over the last few years? Well, I'm not very optimistic for the for the near future. Um, I mean, because, as you say, I'm tension in the Eastern Mediterranean, and the Indian waters, I mean, with the, the status of Hagia Sophia has entered now on, on, on both on the discussion of both, both sides. Um, and, and we don't, I mean, Erdogan is not passing by the best time of, in terms of, of support according to polls. I mean, they don't have a, we don't have a relation now uh, until 2023. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Erdogan is, is very, very, is following polls very, every day. He, he watches them closely, yeah. Yeah, very closely. I mean, since, since he started his career in the eighties, so um, you know, there is no better thing to reunite uh, or to get again support than the nationalistic, um, you know, conflict. So, in that sense, I don't think things will get better uh, in the next in the next uh, years. Uh, Although I don't, I don't foresee in the in the next months another migrant crisis, which it will, you know, it will be very bad for both uh, tourism sectors, both Turkey and, uh, and Greece. 
Mm, but it can restart next year, maybe, or autumn. Um, I don't see either a military conflict between them. I mean, they, they will keep tension, like a Cold War, Cold War uh, type of, of conflict. Um, but in, in the long run, I mean, these are two countries that are, you know, they have to understand, I mean, to, 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 to get together and work together. I mean, otherwise, I mean, they are losing so much of, you know, in terms of tourism, in terms of, in terms of trade. Um, and, and this is affecting, I mean, this, as, as um, Sefergovens told me in, in the book, um, for the book, uh, this Sefer Gubench is the, um, is the president of the uh, Lausanne Association. He's one of the associations in Turkey for the descendants of, of, the, of the changed people in the right. 1920s. Uh, he told me, like this, this uh, say that uh, says, you know, may God give uh, you know, good reasons to our, our leaders. Because every time that there are tensions between Turkey and Greece, sometimes because of real problems and sometimes because of you know, political cal- calculations, Ah, this affects the people, the people that live in the border, real people that live in the border, uh, people with, you know, ancestors in both sides, or people, you know, trade or work in both sides, and, you know, it has a, uh, and, and the minorities, the minorities are really affected by, by this, uh, by this uh, conflict. I mean, the hate speech in Turkey has increased a lot in the recent years, as Erdogan has become more nationalistic. So, um, you know, things will get worse, maybe, before they get better. Okay, Andres, I think you, you've given us a great insight into this um, area of, the, of, of uh, Europe that perhaps many uh, Europeans really don't know that much about, and maybe perhaps many Greeks and Turks don't really know much about, viewing it often through very specific prisms in either country. So thank you for sharing your experiences and joining us on the Agora podcast. Thank you for listening. That was journalist Andres Murenta. His book, which is in Spanish, has been published by La Caja Books. We'll have a link to it on our website at www.macropolis.gr and on our ACAST page, which is where the Agora podcast is hosted. Of course, you can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please do let us know what you think of our podcast series. Before we go, thanks to our earlier guests, Alexander Vuduri and Harry Zimidras. And as always, we salute our producer, Phoebe Fronista. We'll be back very soon with another episode. In the meantime, we'll leave you with the relaxing sounds of our theme tune by the Burgundy Grapes, a world away from the diplomatic tension we've been discussing. See you soon.